Well, good morning, everybody, and lovely to see you all. Happy Easter. I'm going to be the first one to say it. Um, it's great to see those who are in the church this morning, and for all those on Zoom who I can't see, I'm just waving to you all um, and uh, just wishing you all uh, an amazing Easter. We're going to start with um, an exaltation. So, Mark, if you can just move it on to the slide. <laughs> so, he is not here, for he has risen. Amen. Next one. Right. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's join together in giving God the glory.
on zoom if you want to unmute yourself and give out your prayers of thanksgiving and praise before god this morning on this amazing easter sunday then please unmute yourself and let's just give god the praise and the glory for those in church nigel will come around with the the roving mic put your hand up if you want to just So Nigel's got the mic there. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Father, we thank you that you rose, raised Jesus from the dead. He didn't stay there. Amen. We just thank you, Lord, that he is alive today. And because he lives, we can live also. We just thank you and praise you. Amen. Amen. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being shut where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, <clears throat> the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father God, we just praise and thank you for today. We praise and thank you that you you are a risen God, and that's who we worship. Amen. Praise the Lord. For this cause was the Son of God made manifest that he may destroy the works of the devil. He died on the cross of Calvary, and he has risen today. Every dead situation in our life has come alive today. Every dead condition in our life, in our health, has been risen for life and for us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And Jesus, because you have been raised from the dead, because you are alive, because you are exalted at the right hand of the Father, and all authority and power has been given to you, we come before you boldly and confidently today to the throne of grace, 
And Lord, for brothers and sisters who are struggling and suffering today, we, we just lift them, Jesus, into your risen presence and glory. And we ask for a touch of your grace and mercy and help today. Lord Jesus, especially, we, we want to lift Joan and Brian and the family before you as uh, Joan faces uh, surgery on tomorrow. Lord, we, we just, with all the shock, the emotional trauma that the accident has had for her and Brian and the family, Lord, we just lift them before you today and we ask, Lord, that your risen power would reside in that home and that you would bring healing uh, to Joan's body through the surgery. But Lord, more than that, we ask that your comforting power and presence would be with her and Brian and the wider family today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dear Lord, what an apt reminder looking at that screen today and uh, looking at the wonderful sun in the sky that you rose from the dead. You died on that cross to save us from our sins. Hallelujah. Amen. Father God, we thank you because of today we can live free from the power of sin. We can rejoice in the hope we have in Christ. And can we live as sons and daughters in your name? Lord, we look forward for your spirit to empower us, to live for you, to be your witnesses wherever we find ourselves being. And we proclaim, and we declare by our life, by our words that you are a risen God. Amen. Father God, we thank you that we rejoice in this day. This is the culmination of our faith, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that our Savior conquered death and took our sins on his body and gave us the, the, the chance of everlasting life. And so, Father God, we thank you. We thank you for what Jesus did, his sacrifice. We thank you for his resurrection, the resurrection and the life. We thank you and we praise you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So now we're going to have a, a, another of Mark's wonderful talks, but I think he's got a, lot of, a few more people involved on this one. So um, over to you, Mark. When someone you love dies, you hurt really deep inside. You miss them so much, you just want to cry. The day Jesus died, all his friends hurt too. Peter and John and the rest of the crew were gutted and just didn't know what to do. With the sign goodbye and crying. Day one passed so quickly and then day two. But on the third day, Mary went with her friends to the grave. They went bearing spices, perfume and the like to anoint the dead body that had lain there those nights. The day hadn't dawned, so they walked in the gloom all the way to the tomb. They were sighing, goodbye, and crying. But 
but when they arrived, they were filled with dismay. The tomb had been opened, the stone rolled away, so they went and told Peter, and they went and told John. They stole down his body. Jesus is gone. They've moved him somewhere. I don't know what they've done. So Peter ran off, but John with a burst sped right past his friend and reached the tomb first. But didn't dare enter, just stuck his head in, only burial cloths where Jesus had been. What happened? He wondered, his head in a spin. Sighing, goodbye, and crying. Then Peter arrived and without delay walked into the tomb where Jesus lay, where neatly stacked sheets and the cloth from his head, like Jesus had woken and made up his bed. Was it possible that Jesus was no longer dead? No, no sighing, goodbye, and crying. So Peter and John went home all amazed, but Mary remained and was suddenly dazed. When two angels appear right there in the grave, one at the foot and one at the head of where Jesus once had laid. Where did they take him? Was all she could say. Sighing, goodbye, and crying. Before they could answer, she heard a voice speak. Why are you weeping? Who is it you see? It's the gardener. She thought, so quickly replied. It is Jesus, she answered. The man who had died. If you've taken his body, please say where it lies. Dying, crying and crying. Mary, he said. Oh, what a surprise. It was Jesus behind. Jesus, Jesus is alive. Teacher, she gasped, but he told her to go. Tell my friends what you've seen. You must let them know that I'm no, no longer dead. My vision, you see. So, so no, no more saying goodbye. 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 No, no more saying goodbye. goodbye. No more saying goodbye. No crying. Oh, happy day, happy day.
that's amazing. <laughs> it's not every day you get a workout class as well. <laughs> I cast my eye to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior on that cursed tree.
Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your holy name. You are amazing, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So on to our reading this morning, which is taken from Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let's just pray for Martin as he comes to speak. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for that resurrection story. And Lord, now as we come to hear your word just opened up to us, Lord, we pray for Martin that you would just fill him with your Holy Spirit again. Fill him to overflowing that the word of God may just reach each one of us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you were uh, dancing along on uh, on Zoom. We were we were all dancing in here, and it was great. It was uh, it was brilliant. Uh, but so thank you, thank you, Mark uh, and Steve for. Uh, a great worship time uh, this morning is it even I think one of the things I've noticed about not being able to sing is that you you have to really uh, find other ways of expressing your your praise so I'm singing along in my head but I'm also wanting to clap I'm wanting to dance I'm wanting to move more uh, use my body more because you know it, you just you just want to it you just want that praise to get out in some way and so it's great to to be here and to actually express that that praise and worship to God I don't know what Easter means to uh, the people that uh, you come across in your workplaces university schools uh, amongst your family and friends um, but my wife uh, Sarah is a primary school teacher and she told me recently that in answer to uh, a question, what is Easter about? One of her children answered, it's when we eat chocolate to remember that the Easter bunny died and came back to life. Now that, I think that's uh, quite a common view, not just amongst children, but uh, if you asked a lot of adults, it wouldn't be so far away from that answer, would it? And many people see Easter as a kind of uh, bank holiday, as a time when the weather's getting better, as a time when we enjoy creation and flowers coming up and all that kind of stuff. But really, from, a, from the Bible's point of view, many people see this as a, a myth or a legend that was invented long after Jesus died by his followers. And this was um, popularized by the Da Vinci Code written by Dan Brown a few years ago. 
So many people would say that they can't believe in the Bible's account of Easter, that Jesus died on Good Friday and then he rose again from the grave. But many people still like the idea of Easter, you know, the idea of death leading to life. Many people see that in springtime, of course, with the flowers coming up out of the ground, you know, with, with the new life of birth, of, of children, uh, babies and of lambs out in the field. So people would often see, will often see Easter in nature, in signs of new life. So after winter comes spring. Um, but of course, the idea that this is about Jesus rising from the dead is a step too far for many people in our culture. But you see, Christianity has never been based on myth or legend and on certainly not on accounts that were uh, written down long, long after the event. But a popular theory still holds that the legend of Jesus' resurrection developed much later after the uh, actual events had faded from living memory. But the evidence of the New Testament speaks against that. The earliest evidence we have is in 1 Corinthians 15, which I'm going to read to you from the words of the Apostle Paul that were written just uh, 20 years or so after the resurrection of Jesus. This is what uh, Paul uh, writes in 1 Corinthians 15. For I received, uh, for what I received, I passed on to you of great importance that, G that Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures, that he was raised, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared also to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all to, to Paul. Now, most New Testament scholars recognize that Paul is using there an early church creed that was written not even decades after the death of, and resurrection of Jesus, but just months, within months of um, Jesus' resurrection, this creed in 1 Corinthians 15 was written down and then passed on to the Apostle Paul. And then Paul wrote it down in his letter to the Corinthians. So this has caused um, people like James Dunn, an eminent biblical scholar, to say that we can be entirely confident that this summary in 1 Corinthians 15 was formulated within months of Jesus' death. So Dan Brown, you are utterly wrong. So we're going to debunk the myth this morning. This disproves the theory that Jesus' resurrection was a, was a legend developed long after uh, the events that it recorded. Now, some say, well, of course, the people in the time of Paul and the Bible were highly superstitious. They believed kind of in miracles and in resurrection like we don't today. We've, we've moved on. We've matured as a, as a race. We, we've, we're kind of into technology and science and rationality today. So people say that if you wanted to uh, be the founder of, of a religion, all you had to do was say, well, he rose and you must believe it because I say so. But that's not the way Paul writes, and it's not the way the gospel writers record. You see, Paul gives the name of eyewitnesses of the resurrection, and he says that many of them are still living. In other words, go and talk to them. <laughs> 
you know, many of them are still alive. And he's inviting his readers to go and talk to them. If you don't believe this, go and talk to them. There's 500 plus who've seen him. Go and talk to them. Most of them are still alive. Now, those are not just throwaway details. That's Paul saying this is based on eyewitness accounts. And yet they're trustworthy. Check out the story for yourself is what Paul is saying. But why would Paul need to reassure his readers like this? Surely people in those days were less skeptical about resurrection. Um, Anglican uh, scholar N.T. Wright, in his book, The Resurrection of the Son of God, which is an amazing book, explains that in both Greek and Jewish culture, there was not an expectation of an individual bodily resurrection. Jews of Jesus' day, either like the Sadducees, didn't believe in the resurrection at all, or if there was a, a general resurrection, it would be at the very end of the age when the whole world was renewed. So the Jews simply did not believe in individual resurrection. It wasn't their expectation. And the Greeks believed that the afterlife was liberation of the soul from the body. Um, for them, resurrection would never be a physical body after death. It was just the soul. Celsus, a Greek philosopher who lived in the second century AD, was highly antagonistic to Christianity. And he wrote a number of works against Christianity. One of his arguments went like this. Christianity can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on the testimony of women. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? In ancient societies, women were marginalized and their testimony was not ever upheld. That's why women could not be uh, witnesses in court. No one believed them. No one believed their testimony. Now, that's an outrageous statement for us in our culture today, but it was true back then. Do you see what this means? If Mark and the other uh, biblical writers made up the story of the resurrection to get their movement off the ground, they didn't go about it very effectively, did they? By including the women as witnesses, that's probably the worst thing that you could do. If you wanted to get a movement off the ground, you would never say that women were the first witnesses because they weren't believed. Instead, Mark deliberately records that the first people to witness the empty tomb were the women. Let's look at verse 1. If I can find the right slide, I'll get there. Here we are. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. You see, Mark deliberately records these women's names. So the only possible reason for the presence of their names in these accounts is that they were actually there and reported what they saw. The stone had been rolled away, the tomb was empty, and an angel declared that Jesus was risen. And we deliberately get their names. We're told who they were, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joses, and Salome. Biblical scholar Richard Borkham says that this is another way that Mark is letting us know that he's recording a historical account. These women must have been alive at the time when Mark wrote. Otherwise, he wouldn't have bothered giving their names. Mark was saying to anyone reading his gospel, if you want to check out the truth of my story, go and talk to these women. Ask them. 
But notice also that the women are not expecting a resurrection. Why are they there? They're not there to find an empty tomb. They're there to anoint Jesus' body, which was customary that when someone died and was laid in a tomb, you would anoint the body with expensive spices and perfumes. And the disciples are nowhere to be seen. Now, remember that Jesus has told the disciples, including the women, that he's going to die in Jerusalem and rise again multiple times. But where are they? <laughs> they, were, they were kind of tuning out his words. It was kind of white noise. You know, a bit like uh, when someone says, it's your turn to empty the dishwasher. And it's as if you've not heard them. It's as if their words have just not landed with you. You, you probably won't know what I mean by that. But, uh, you know, you filter out the words as white noise. You simply don't take them in. Nobody is expecting a resurrection. If you were the gospel writer Mark trying to write a credible piece of fiction and you had Jesus repeatedly say, I'm going to die and rise again, wouldn't you have at least one of the disciples, if you were making this up, going after, the, after his death, well, maybe we ought to go and check the empty tomb just in case he's done what he said he was going to do. It's not a, it's not a great sort of uh, step, is it, if you're going to make this up? But no, nobody says anything like this. This is the worst possible account that you could write if you're going to make it up, right? No one's going to believe this. And the angel even has to remind the women of the words of Jesus in verse 7. The angel himself reminds them, you will see him just as he told you. <laughs> Spot the irony here. He told you he was going to rise. So why don't you believe it? No one is expecting the resurrection. No one. The resurrection for the first disciples was as inconceivable and impossible as it is for rational people today. Why do we think that our world is more doubting and skeptical than the world of the disciples? It's no difference. Some explain that the resurrection appearances were hallucinations or psychological wish fulfillment on the part of the witnesses who hoped that uh, Jesus was alive. You know, a bit like uh, seeing a, a loved one who's passed on sort of in things, in memories. But the variety and times of circumstances of Jesus being seen and encountered is too varied in the Gospels. There's witnesses to Jesus in Judea, in Galilee, in Emmaus, in the countryside, in towns, indoors, outdoors, the morning and the evening. Throughout the Gospels, he's seen all over the place by so many people. In fact, according to Paul, Jesus even appeared to a group of 500 at one time. Do 500 people hallucinate at one time? I doubt it. N.T. Wright summarizes the evidence for the resurrection. The early Christians did not invent the empty tomb and the meetings or sightings of the risen Jesus. Nobody was expecting this kind of thing. No kind of conversion experience would have invented it. No matter how guilty the disciples felt, no matter how many hours they poured over the scriptures. To suggest otherwise is to stop doing history and enter into a fantasy world of our own. Absolutely correct. This is based on history, on eyewitness accounts. The New Testament was written only a few decades after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
So why does the world invent myths around it? Because people decide that they don't want to believe it. But if we look at the evidence, the evidence is there for all to see. You might say this morning, yeah, I know all that, Martin. Why are you telling me this again? Well, A, because I think it's important that we examine the evidence for ourselves because it causes our faith to rise a few notches. But I'm like you, I'm asking the question, so what? So what? If Jesus is risen, uh, what difference does it make to us today? Well, it means that Mark's story and the gospel writer's story is all true. If Jesus really rose from the dead, it's not just the resurrection that's true. Everything Jesus came to do in bringing his kingdom is also true. He came to die on the cross for us. And by trusting in his death and resurrection, we are spared from eternal judgment and brought into eternal life. You see, because Jesus was physically raised with a resurrected and glorified body, John says that believers in Jesus will also receive a glorified, resurrected body. That's good news, isn't it? This is what John says in John 11. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. So those Christians who've gone before us are now living in eternity with Jesus in heaven. And when he returns, all Christians, whether alive or dead, will be raised up with glorified, resurrected bodies that will no longer die or get sick or decay or, or get old. They will be glorified and transformed bodies. So what difference does the resurrection make? The resurrection of Jesus means that the whole creation will be physically renewed, including these bodies. Isn't that great? But you might say, what does the resurrection mean for me now? Well, the resurrection now means that the kingdom has broken into this world and that the kingdom of God is growing in this world. Um, many of the prophets in the Old Testament wrote about what God wants to bring about in the present and the future in the kingdom of God. A new heaven and a new earth in its consummation and a healed creation. Absolute wholeness and well-being physically, spiritually, socially, and economically. When John the Baptist sends a messenger from prison who says to Jesus in Matthew 11, are you really the Messiah? There we go. Are you really the Messiah? Are you the one who is bringing the kingdom of God? Jesus answered, the blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make today? He's alive. He's risen. He's reigning at the right hand of the Father, and his kingdom is growing in the world. There are still people being raised from the dead. The blind are still receiving their sight. The lame are still walking. Lepers are still being cured. The deaf are hearing. And the good news is being preached to the poor every day. People are coming to faith. And one day... God will complete and consummate this kingdom reign. When Jesus comes again, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. We will be reconciled to God. We'll be reconciled to one another. We'll be reconciled to the creation. There'll be no more death. 
no more pain, no more mourning, no more injustice. We will live in a healed heaven and a healed earth with Jesus for eternity. So the kingdom has broken in and the kingdom is coming and growing and will one day be fully consummated in a new heaven and a new earth. Hallelujah. What a savior. So the resurrection is the sign today of a glorious future. So what difference does this make to you and me today? Well, it is hard to be a Christian in this world, in case you hadn't noticed. Daily, we face temptation, doubt, struggle. Daily, you might find, face isolation in your workplace, your university. You might feel you're swimming against the tide, even in your own family and amongst your own friendship groups. You may even find that in your own family, there's opposition to your faith. Why is it so hard to face disability and disease? Why is it so hard to do the right thing if you know it's going to cost you your reputation or your money? Why is it so hard for us to face our own death or the death of loved ones? It is so hard because we think that this world, this broken world, is the only one we're ever going to have, right? It's so easy to feel as if this money we have today is the only wealth we'll ever have. It's so easy to feel that this body that we have today is the only body that we'll ever have. But if Jesus is risen, then our future is so much more glorious and beautiful and certain than what we have in this life, right? This kind of hope for the future is possible for Christians who believe in the resurrection. Joni Erickson Tada is a Christian who was in an accident when she was 17. And ever since, she's been paralyzed from the neck down. And while she was trying to come to terms with this horrible accident, she would go to church in a wheelchair. And the problem with being in a wheelchair, she says, was that at a certain point in the church service, the priest would call everybody out the front to kneel. And everybody came out the front and knelt except Joni. And she writes, with everyone kneeling, I certainly stood out and I couldn't stop the tears. But she says these weren't tears of self-pity. She said, I was crying because of the sight of hundreds of people on their knees before God was so beautiful. And she writes, sitting there, I was reminded that in heaven, I will be free to jump up, dance, kick and do aerobics. The first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorified knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. Then she adds, can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me? Isn't that wonderful? She's not looking at her injuries. She's not looking at her paralysis. She's looking at the resurrected Christ and the consummated kingdom that she will one day be a part of. She will dance. She will sing. She will kneel in that new heaven and that new earth. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ do we find such enormous hope for living today. Only the resurrection promises us not just new minds and hearts, but also new bodies. If you can't dance and you long to dance, in the resurrection you'll dance perfectly. If you're lonely, in the resurrection you will have and enjoy perfect love. 
If you're empty in the resurrection, you will be fully satisfied. If you know that this is not the only world, the only body, the only life you are ever going to have, that you will someday have a perfect life, a real concrete life, who cares what people do to you as a Christian in this life? You see, we're free from the ultimate anxieties in this life. We can be brave. We can be witnesses for Christ courageously because we know that we're going on to an eternity with him. Let's pray. Jesus, words fail us, <laughs> but we just thank you for the incredible hope that your resurrection brings Yes, for the future, but also into the present. Lord, fill us with your resurrection, hope and joy today. Fill us afresh, Holy Spirit, we pray. Flood our souls with the Father's love, the Father's hope, the Father's joy. Lord, we pray that your resurrection power would fill us again today. We thank you, Jesus, for the evidence in your word, that you rose from the grave. But we thank you even more than that, that you're at the right hand of the Father, reigning now, and that you're coming again to bring a new heaven and a new earth. And Lord, whatever disabilities, whatever limitations we have in these physical bodies and on this earth, we thank you that one day we will live in a perfected creation that is free of limitation and decay and suffering. And that's all because Jesus is the first sign in his resurrection that the whole creation will be renewed one day. We thank you for this hope, and we pray that this hope would cause us to have joy and courage today. And we pray, Lord, for those who are recovering. Lord, we pray for those who are facing treatment. Lord Jesus, we ask that you break in with your resurrection power, bring healing, bring comfort, bring strength, bring hope. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's finish with a, a, a rousing hymn, Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. God sent his son.
May the resurrected Christ bring you joy today. May the resurrected Christ fill you with love. May the resurrected Christ fill you with hope now and for the future. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 And for those on Zoom, you may now unmute yourself.